0: Content warning for this episode mentions of death, attempted murder, and conspiratorial thinking. Enjoy!
1: Hello and welcome to the Magic Winx Clubhouse, a podcast where two best friends get together and recap every episode of the Italian Magical Girl series, Winx Club. I'm Brendan, fairy of the surging sea.
0: And I'm Tess, fairy of the holy crap, what a hiatus!
1: Today we're watching Season 2, Episode 9, Professor Avalon's Secret. The original Italian title is the same, and aired on May 17th, of 2005, while the 4Kids dub title is The Angel of Doom, And aired on my birthday, November 5th of 2005. Birthday, day, and month, not year. I'm not 16. You were 12. Hey, 2005 was 16 years ago.
0: You wanna know, um, Professor Avalon's secret?
1: That he's He's, Lord Darkar?
0: He's a and creeper.
1: Because the show has not outright said it, but we have been fed every bit of context clues that yes, this is pre- actually. I think the four kids dub has blatantly stated that this is Lord Darkar.
0: I haven't caught anything. All that I do know is that he is being very creepy.
1: Yeah, this is the episode that um, four kids did uh, did a did a write themselves in a hole. <sighs> so before we continue, if you like what you hear. You can follow us on Twitter at
0: Pod. You can email us at magicwinksclubhouse at gmail.com. That is the name of this podcast at gmail.com.
1: And we are on all major podcasting platforms, natively hosted through Podbean, but we are also available for, I know for a fact, on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, and
0: are we on Stitcher? Probably, but I do know we're on Spotify.
1: Sweet. Uh, We apologize for the hiatus. One, we're not paid to do this. Two, I was very busy at work. Uh, We've lost one person who quit. Uh, One person is temporarily out. And uh, it was the pre-holiday rush.
0: Uh, And I work retail, and we have lost three cashiers.
1: Also, I play Dungeons & Dragons four times a week now. So uh, my schedule is pretty full. Anyhow, we apologize for the hiatus. We're going to try and do our best. Uh, I know that my work slows down in January, so we should be somewhat back to our regular schedule moving
0: forward. Huzzah! Hey guys, Editor Tess here. I know it's the end of February. I've been very busy. (laughs) I'm sorry. Back to the episode.
1: So... Let's get this roast cooking. Our episode opens on a televangelist doomsday prophet ranting about a preacher who will usher in doom and destruction when the three sacred planets align. Sounds like Republicans talking about trans people. <laughs> <laughs> and we then see said three planets come into alignment ever so nicely and cut to a snow-covered village that's being besieged by Viking trolls like you do.
0: The Titans have been released.
1: The time to act will be at hand. Release the Titans, that monstrous band.
0: Okay, real quick. I honestly thought that book he was holding was a head for a little while.
1: Oh dear. Uh, no. This this just kind of gets dropped on us. The four kids dub actually edits it somewhere so that it makes a little bit more sense, and we're not just thrust into this out of context segment. Uh, So the trolls get cut down by a uh, paladin who flies in, and the populace, you know, they fawn over him because he's a hero, and then he slide Digivolves into his heartless form.
0: Same lovely wings, by the way.
1: Yeah, still big feather wings, only now he looks like, like it's a purple lizard man, so it's (laughs) Bealzemon. What if Bealzemon had a heartless logo on his snoot? Anyway, the paladin is a purple dragon furry who throws fireballs, breaks the village, and he flies at the screen and, and eats us, the audience. Episode over.
0: <sighs> Series over. Good job, guys.
1: <laughs> Meeting adjourned.
0: Okay, uh, now that we've been bored in the first three minutes of the episode, we smash cut to Bloom, who is having something between a dream and a flashback to being baby.
1: You know, like, like you do. Like you do with those... Buried infant memories that we all have.
0: Where she sees a necklace with a mysterious symbol, a young Daphne, and her birth parents. Also, of course, uh, Bloom is her birth name. It was probably on a medallion she was wearing when Mike and Vanessa found her. You know, like Hercules.
1: I actually think that I think it was. I think that I, I think I wrote that in as a Hercules joke, but I think that might actually be what happened. Probably. Or, like, the the ghost voice of Daffy was like, This baby is Bloom. You will protect and love her. Thank you. Bye.
0: She wakes up, screaming, as happens only on TV. And then she flops back and has tears of joy, sad. It, It goes from tears sad to still tears but happy. And she goes back to sleep.
1: Cut to the dining hall. It's a rainy day at Alfia, and Stella complains about not having enough breakfast. Me too. I guess the joke is that because Stella's the pretty one, she also has to eat a lot, so she has flaws. So she's being ignored by Tekna, who is reading about predicting the future using the movement of celestial bodies. Which, fun fact, that's one of the way uh, one of the ways the ancient Babylonians did divination is they did astrology about it. Uh, <laughs>
0: We have a prophecy. Do astrology about it.
1: Digit tries to come up with a scientific explanation of how this works when we're fully in a setting with magic, and she is herself a magical creature. And predicting the future has been shown to be possible, but, no, mm, we've got to do skepticism, I guess. Stella pitches a fit about still being hungry, so Takna gives in and slides over the rest of her breakfast. Stella goes to chow down on a big, bright, juicy bread delicious, which tastes like nothing,
0: it looks that that breakfast looks like a plate of like graham crackers and one single apple.
1: Honest to gods, it looked like ravioli.
0: <laughs> oh, delicious dry ravioli, crunch, crunch. It's the
1: it's it's the tortellini you get from the refrigerated section, but they didn't cook it. They just emptied it and put it on a plate. So Stella goes to eat the apple, but her hand goes through the apple. And the apple starts multiplying because this is some sort of non sequitur experiment about Wiz-Gi- uh, by WizGiz showing off his new invention that will come back in the last five minutes of the episode. I'm going to be real. The first time I watched this, I was like, what's the point? Why are we doing this? Same. If I sound unenthusiastic, it's because this whole opening just feels nonsensical and a bunch of non
0: sequiturs and
1: no context moments.
0: I'm hungry. Here's a thing. What is this thing? Still hungry. Magic.
1: So anyway, Stella eats that raw tortellini and uh, complains about her day being off to a bad start. So she kind of like collapses her head into her arms and mopes until a flower magically appears before her. And then before everybody because it's Avalon doing some casual magic. Though this time, like, he's doing it to, like, just give, every, give everyone a good start to their day.
0: Um, I read this as being very creepy.
1: <laughs> See, it wouldn't be creepy if he didn't have that tone of voice. And it's consistent in both dubs, so I can only imagine. And it's just the way this character talks.
0: I On one hand, I get it, but on the other hand, you clearly can tell that all of these students have a thing for you, so you're just going to give them all flowers. That's weird, right?
1: Yes. Uh, Bloom is the one who most obviously has a
0: crush on Avalon.
1: Uh, and somehow, just by looking at her, he is able to tell that she has had a profound dream.
0: Except in four kids.
1: She asks if he can help her with finding out what happened to her parents, and he just tells her to meet him during office hours like any other college professor. Uh, Stella and Yuza fawn over how handsome he is after he walks away. And then Tekna. Tekna has a bug in her brain this whole episode. And it's really annoying and very QAnon y. Ha! Because she has just now noticed... In episode 9, and he's been around since, I want to say, episode 6, that he had angel wings when he first showed up, and now he doesn't have them. But she and her friends regularly have wings and not on any given episode. This escapes her. Okay, I guess she doesn't have wings so much as she has a paper airplane glued to her ass, but... (laughs) But uh, we're about to witness Techna do her own research and come to improper conclusions. so remember, kids, always follow expert medical guidance. I'm not even remotely in the vicinity of around about that anymore. If you don't get vaccinated, you're part of the problem. She decides that she and Digit need to investigate this and just buckle up because it's there's some wild leaps of logic from the most logical member of
0: the cast. <laughs> This episode's weird, guys. Uh, so later on that day, Avalon takes a stroll through the school garden and reports to a walking-by Farragonda that there's a few flowers missing since earlier that day, and she's impressed with his ability to recall that information. It's called hyper-focusing, <laughs> sweetheart. Keep up. up. <laughs> uh, this crossfades into his classroom, where the class has used said missing flowers to make him a bouquet as a thank you for the flowers he made in dining hall. We get a suspicious voiceover, TM, from Tecna, wondering how he knew exactly how many flowers were missing. Again, hyperfocus.
1: Also, you did just give him a bouquet and he can count those. <laughs> wow, I guess there were twelve flowers missing from the garden. How did he know that? Tecna, it's a bouquet of twelve roses. I still think there's something going on here.
0: Something fishy this way comes.
1: You don't talk about Aisha that way.
0: Avalon announces that today's lecture is on the skill of cognitive analysis, which he defines as being able to hone one's senses, trust their instincts, and be able to notice even minute changes in their surroundings. He then poses a question that seems to shift the entire focus of the lecture.
1: Yeah, so he... So he establishes, this is what we're talking about today, and then proceeds to talk about something entirely different.
0: He asks the class who the first fairy was, and everyone answers at the same time, Claridale. When no one can provide more solid proof that she was behind, beyond hearing it repeatedly, Aisha giving the example of hearing it from her mother, Avalon gives this as proof that the belief in the fact was what made it true, even though it's factually wrong. Okay, hold on. But is he going to give us the answer?
1: No, he doesn't. He doesn't give the answer of who the first fairy actually was. He just says everybody says it's Clariel, but you know that's actually not correct. Maybe don't be a bunch of sheeple and think for yourselves.
0: Because everyone believes that Clariel is the first is the first fairy. She is. All right, everyone. What's the first Pokemon?
1: That is a loaded question, and I think the answer is technically right on.
0: Even though they've all received this information from sources they personally trusted, and trust is sometimes all one can have in one another, knowing the objective truth is a different experience that shouldn't be taken for granted.
1: This, this is a whole thing about the very thin type road to walk between fact-checking and conspiracy thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because maybe, maybe I'm just shaped a little bit too much by the state of the world these days. But the relatively innocuous in 2005 thing of a teacher telling you to, you know, always check your sources. And if you feel like something's up, uh, read a book about it. It just skews so different in 2022.
0: Yeah, this is weird.
1: Anyway, Tekna's about to jump off the slippery slope of conspiracy. Um, Cut to her, who is doing research on the web, where thankfully Reddit and Facebook don't exist in 2005. And we see Digit has physically transported herself into the computer and is acting like Tecna's very own Clippy. Ha! Huh. Tecna asks if she's found anything, and Digit has located a guide to anthropomorphic winged creatures.
0: The Necronomicon!
1: Yah, yah, avalan Ha! While it hasn't been digitized yet, there is a hard copy in Althea's library catalog. And then we have like a, a, a charming scene with the pixies that's completely unimportant beyond Lockett getting new outfits that they can sell for the Lockett doll. So we're going to move on.
0: They cut that out of four kids. It wasn't even there.
1: In, li- in the library, in La Biblioteca, hm. Techna pops open the guide and skims through a few entries about angels, vampires, weird humans, and finds a specific segment on a monster called the Creature of Destruction which has retractable wings, can find hidden objects, and is otherwise treated very biblically in a repeat of the Doomsday Prophecy from the start of the
0: episode. Real quick,
1: huh?
0: um, in the Four Kids episode, this is where the um, guy from the beginning shows up. He sounds like a Power Rangers Monster of the Week.
1: I think they might be doing a Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments riff. I don't know for certain because I've never seen the movie myself, to be frank, but that seems like the kind of things the writers who, like the production staff of Four Kids, would find funny. I mean, I don't know. Despite being skeptical of divination and astrology earlier in the, earlier in the episode, Digit now completely buys this prophecy hook, line, and sinker, and even knows which three planets are being described in the, by the prophecy. And, like, the way she says it, it's like everybody knows this is a thing in magical astrology.
0: The three planets. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. (laughs) Faror, Din, and Nehru. (laughs) Johnny Walker, Jack Daniels, and Jim Beam.
1: (laughs) Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. (laughs) Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. (laughs) Do you remember? Um... The arbitrary skepticism from earlier in this episode. Anyhow, you can you can tell that it's been a minute. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, techna has gone full tinfoil hat at this point. And she decides that they can't let, quote unquote, this happen. And if she's talking about a fully celestial event, I want to know what she's going to do about that. Call the Power Rangers in space.
0: What are you gonna do? Are you gonna not let the prophecy come true? Are you going to not let these planets align? What are you trying to do?
1: She's gonna call Magic NASA and they're gonna strap rockets to these planets.
0: Not Nasada! Oh, it's my turn! Yeah. (laughs) So, Techna and Digit decide to scour the campus for Avalon and seemingly find him in two different places. Techna finds him in his office, but Digit sees him in the gardens. Digit says she's going to tail him, but Techna freezes when she sees him walking towards her and hears the prophecy in full in her head. Um, <laughs> this moment was weird, right?
1: Incredibly.
0: Techna decides that someone being in multiple places at once, which we've seen Darcy do a million times, is bad news. And this must mean that Bloom is in danger.
1: Now, I realize the example I give here of we've seen Darcy do this. That is bad news, but it's What I mean is, it's It's not- magic. Yeah, it's a common magical ability.
0: Kagebunshin no jutsu, bitch. Exactly. (laughs) So she rushes to Avalon's office, bringing Digit and Lockette with her. Um, This is the bit where I just um, write, girl, calm the hell down. Because she is Tokyo drifting around this corner, bringing Lockette with her. And spies through the peephole, because- Magic, I guess. Sure enough, Bloom is seeing Avalon during his office hours as he asked her to, and he has her consult some kind of magical crystal that activates when she says her name. Her her first name, by the way. Just, just the first name. Turns out, this is a magic 23 in me, because it produces her family tree that, once again, is probably public records, since she's royalty of a planet that was destroyed less than two decades ago.
1: I just don't know what to do. It's not like these things are commonly available in libraries and on the internet, even in the year of our Lord 2005.
0: Anyway, we learn that her parents' names are Oratel and Miriam. Alright? And that mysterious emblem from her dream was just the family's royal coat of arms. While Tech never lends that Bloom is not, in fact, currently in danger, she still needs to keep an eye on... Avalon moving forward.
1: So we get a brief scene of Stella gushing over how pretty Avalon is. Uh I guess. And then we introduce the Himbofication Professor Palladium. <laughs> uh he is taller and more muscular. I'm into it. In the Four Kids dub, he says he spent the summer in the realm of buff.
0: He got some sick gains?
1: Anyway, he's teaching Magical Invocation, which is the practical side to Avalon's theory lectures. In class, Bloom whispers to Musa that she hopes this class is less of a free-for-all than last term, and we get a flashback to absolute pandemonium in his classroom as he tries to deliver a lecture and gets a book thrown in his face for the effort. Tough room.
0: Eh, that sounds like public school to me. (laughs)
1: that's that's the worst part this is college this is a private institution <laughs> so anyway we snap back to the present and palladium and uh palladium does a brief explanation of today's topic before taking the class to the gym to perform the lab portion of today's episode so get ready to sit there for 2 hours with uh one thing to do girls <laughs>
0: Get ready to sit for two hours while watching one of your classmates do things at a time.
1: So he summons a plasma sphere through incantation, and Stella, vo- Stella, <laughs> and Stella volunteers <laughs> to be the first to try the spell. And then he warns her that if she pronounces the words incorrectly, she could burn up all the oxygen in the room, which is an incredibly severe consequence.
0: Remember, if you get it wrong, you could kill us all. No pressure.
1: (laughs) If she burns up all the oxygen in the room, I think Althea would explode.
0: There (laughs) would be a vacuum in space and time.
1: Isn't this how Roy Mustang does his
0: fire thing? I'm going to say yes. Email us if we're wrong.
1: (laughs) Anyway, so she sits back down because she doesn't want to kill them all. And volunteers another student, Amaril, who has been harassing her uh, earlier in the episode, to try the spell instead.
0: In four kids, this is a truth ball. And.
1: It's, it's the Buena Bulldozer of Truth.
0: And if Stella did it wrong, all of her secrets would be spilled. Instead of trying to kill everyone in the room.
1: Yeah, so keep that in mind. That the spell they're learning in four kids is supposed to be like a scan spell to get all it the all the tea
0: re- reveals the truth. It's it's a lasso of truth, but in plasma form.
1: So Amarelle takes her place in front of the class. Paladin uh, confidently in a
0: no. Uh, His name's Palladium. <laughs> Yep. Also, Uh, don't forget that Amarill's pissed at Stella for some reason now.
1: Yeah, Amarill's upset that Stella volunteered her for this.
0: Also, you could just say no, girl.
1: I would rather not, considering that what could happen is that we all die, Professor. we all get sucked into the void of time and space because all the oxygen has left the room. Oh, hey, Dialga. If you really want to suck the air out of the room, ask about Amarill's parents' divorce. What? Ooh! <laughs>
0: <sighs> <sighs> that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. I haven't even gotten to the part where the wings are trying to kill someone. Let's go!
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Amarill is successfully able to conjure this sphere with uh, Palladium's instruction because he's grown a spine as well as a banging bod. <laughs> and he tells her to throw the plasma sphere at one of the targets that have been set up at the other end of the gym. And to maintain her focus on keeping the spell active as she does so. Amarilla instead decides to throw the spear at Stella.
0: Trying to kill her.
1: We're talking a lot about death and murder in this episode, and I'm sorry, it's that uh, uh, this is not a family-friendly topic, but at the same time, this is literally what's happening in this show.
0: Okay. Uh content warning. Death talks. A lot
1: Speaking- of talk about like. People attempting murder.
0: Assaulting possible people.
1: Murder. Assault. Like, this one, this is a big one. I mean, it's all fantasy violence, but the implications are incredibly grim. <laughs> Warning, implication of death and destruction. <laughs> so, uh, with the sphere of liquid plasma about... You no, know, liquid plasma is what's in your blood... Uh, So with a spear of molten plasma about six inches from Stella's face, uh, Palladium dispels it, immediately turns it on his heel to Amaryll, tells her in no uncertain terms that if she ever assaults another student like that in his class, he will have her expelled. And she just pouts about it. (laughs) I really hope he sends her to Griselda's office, because she literally just did attempt an assault with a deadly weapon.
0: In 4Kids, she gets detention for a week just by doing that with a truth thing. Like, come on.
1: Accountability and consequences.
0: Alright, anyway, after that extreme escalation, there's an even more jarring aside where Livvy flies at the camera and exposits that the fairies and pixies will solve the mystery? I don't like Livvy's feet here.
1: Is this for when the show comes back from commercial? Like, is this a post eye cash thing to- Catch you up if you had to like take a pee break or you flipped the channel in the middle of the episode.
0: We resume relative normalcy when the Winks minus Bloom are in the library and Techna asks the others to report what information they found about Avalon because apparently Techna's roped everyone else into this whiz- weird tizzy. Uh, collectively, he had a career at Malakoy Academy on Planet Coria. And 17 years ago, there was a series of attacks on nearby villages by a winged man, and according to Zing, um, a pixie in a bee outfit whose name we haven't gotten in Cinaloom, and Brendan needed to look this up on the wiki, this did coincide with planetary alignment in the Prophecy. Uh, Libby zooms in and provides her own report, if Tecna's interested in pursuing this theory, she'll have to consult Headmistress Griffin, who is apparently a known expert in the field of astrology and divination. Techna decides she'll go to Cloud Tower herself and tells the other girls to keep researching while she's gone. So she's just ditching class?
1: Or it's a free period. Actually, no it's not. No it's not, because everyone else goes to class. Because it's class with Avalon, who's doing the, um the gold sword the gold axe silver axe fable thing the the fable being you know uh kid drops his father's axe in a pond a forest spirit of some sort a watery tart sometimes the god hermes himself uh pops you know, out of the, the spring watery
0: tart hermes
1: and it says hey kid did you drop this uh bling and silver axe and the kid goes no it's not and then Hermes goes, okay, did you drop this one? And he shows off a gold axe. Uh, and the kid's, like, tempted, but he goes, no, honestly, no. And Hermes is like, thank you for your honesty. I'm going to give you your father's axe back, but you're also going to get to keep these ones made of solid gold and silver for being an honest person.
0: Honesty is the best policy. You'll get free stuff. <laughs>
1: Uh, so Avalon shows off, like, a, a crappy-looking sword and a blinged-out sword. Uh, Bloom volunteers to participate in the episode, and everyone freaks out, despite this being a public setting. And Stella tries to stop her, since they haven't clued Bloom in on anything they're doing. <laughs> Better to just keep her in the dark when supposedly her life is at stake.
0: Conflict by omission. A great plot point.
1: Uh, Toshiki is writing, this ain't.
0: In Four Kids, Stella passes this off as a tick or something?
1: Well, the Four Kids dub is is a lot less subtle with this because Avalon says, who wants to be my first victim? And Bloom goes, me! He says it in Cineloom, too. So Bloom asks Stella what her problem is and then goes to the front of the class, while Muse's stage whispers to the others that if Avalon tries anything, they're just gonna jump in.
0: And I think I think Flora had some like mind said something that super didn't seem like internal thoughts because it didn't have like that echoey effect.
1: No it's like they had her talk but they didn't move her lips <laughs> uh, Tecna has bummed right off of has bummed right off of Timmy and sh- uh, he takes her to the cloud tower where they both meet with Griffin on the observatory platform. Griffin confirms that this planetary conjunction is a bad omen, but she can't predict the next time that'll happen until, you know, it's nighttime and she can actually see the stars. Back with Avalon, Bloom and another student just charge at each other with swords. Hi-ya! And when they clash, the the blinged-out one that Bloom chose snaps clean in half. And then Avalon oh, gives the moral. Then Avalon gives an uh, altered version of the fable's moral that appearances can be deceiving because the damaged sword is actually made out of special metal that has allowed it to survive
0: several battles. Or is- it's an actual sword versus a glass sword. That sword looked like it was made out of sugar glass, I swear.
1: Yeah. This is, of course, our episode theme, that in order to find the truth, one has to take a closer look at all evidence available to them. Ah, this is the voiceover with Flora's thoughts. Yes, yeah. Where she wonders what evidence will reveal the truth about Avalon. Uh, a reminder here, always use evidence to come to a conclusion. Don't seek out evidence to support a conclusion you've already made. And this is your next, this is your second reminder to get vaccinated. If possible.
0: But wear a mask, or don't go out.
1: Yeah, also wear a mask regardless of vaccination status.
0: In Avalon's office, Bloom lays on what amounts to be a therapist's couch surrounded by magical crystals, and Avalon asks if she's ready to delve into her past. Yikes!
1: This is the sketchiest thing he's done all episode. If you're going to do a hypnosis session or anything like it, there should always be a third person there to ensure that nothing untoward happens while you're not cognizant.
0: This is a PSA-heavy episode, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is.
0: As <laughs> Outside, Tecna hops off Timmy's bike and joins up with the rest of the Winks. When questioned about the Pixies, she answers that she left them at Cloud Tower to help Griffin. With what? Bloom has another infant memory flashback where she hears her mother's voice and sees the domino royal family's crest and when she wakes up, she's wearing it as a pendant around her neck. She pulled it out of her freaking dream Freddy Krueger style. She thanks Avalon for helping her recover this memory and he responds that she should thank herself since the pendant is a gift from her past.
1: Oh no, I forgot
0: about this. At Cloud Tower, Griffin looks through her telescope, despite it not being visibly later in the day than before, I might add, and sure enough, the planets are about to align! I know it's for visualization, but those planets are very close to each other. Oh, yeah. Like that close to each other, they would just tear each other apart.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, that's not how astronomy works.
0: Based on her calculation, the conjunction will occur...
1: Oh, I mean, that's not how astronomy works with three celestial bodies being that close together. Not what you said.
0: Yes, based on her calculations, the conjunction will occur exactly at eleven fifty-nine that night, and the curse of these three planets will be placed on the fairies at Alfea. It's apparently eleven forty-nine at night because <laughs> the fairies only have ten minutes to get back to Alfia. It's the middle of the day, guys. Digit realizes that the prophecy must be right, and that Avalon must be the creature of destruction. So she, Livy, and Zing race back to Althea!
1: Now, in the wink Suite, there is somebody in Bloom's bed. But this is not Bloom. The girl in Bloom's bed has an identical character design like everybody else in this show, honestly. If you're not- uh, if you are white- And a fairy, you look identical to everyone around you except for your hair. And this girl has a short brown pixie cut. Which raises a question. Is Bloom's hair a wig? (laughs) And if it was a wig, it would come off when I did this.
0: (laughs) Yeah!
1: Uh, many questions. Uh, Tecna asks if Bloom has, uh, said anything about her session with Avalon, but according to Flora, she's been asleep ever since she came back, because we smash cut from, I want to say about three o'clock in the afternoon to suddenly being almost midnight. Tecna then tells the other girls that they have no choice but to terminate Avalon.
0: Well girls, time to kill a man!
1: All right, girly pops, we got no choice. We got to kill a man in cold blood based on a hunch. I mean... Musa asks how long they have to get the deed done, and Tegna tells them they only have five minutes to unalive Avalon, and everyone is completely down for it. Zing also wants to tag along, but Aisha decides the Pixies need to stay with Bloom due to how dangerous this mission will be.
0: Real quick, um, Zing is actually the one who does those movie references. Yes, she is. This is a Mission Impossible reference.
1: Yeah, she drops from the ceiling on uh, the four wires and says, no mission is impossible.
0: In Four Kids, they actually kept that. Not the line, of course, but they kept her coming down because you had to have some semblance of fun.
1: Yeah, that it was actually cute. She just drops down on the wires and goes, okay, tell me where you need me.
0: Alright, gotta kill a man, let's go. <laughs> no, we're not doing this.
1: Uh... So the girls race down the halls, too, and I cannot emphasize this enough. Whack one of their teachers while he sleeps.
0: (laughs) They are full-blown gonna kill a man.
1: They surround the door to his bedroom,
0: and Takina gives them the order that
1: as soon as she opens the door, they attack. And she has (laughs) Apparently she's a spy kid because she's got a wristwatch laser.
0: (laughs) She's an agent of whoop.
1: She blasts the handle off the door and kicks it open, but the room is empty. <gasps> because Avalon is in the shower. <gasps> and then when he opens the door to his room, thankfully fully dressed, and sees if the and sees that the girl's a bust down his door, he asks if everyone's okay, because that's the logical reason. And then Silum Tekna gives us the most magnificent line delivery. Of not this episode. Nay, not even this season. We're on episode 9 of season 2, but I am confident that this is the best line delivery in the entire series. Take it away, Tess.
0: <gasps> what is it, girls? Is something wrong? Yes, you're what's wrong, Magic Winks.
1: Lip flaps, ahoy, Captain.
0: <laughs> I am going to make that my text tone.
1: <laughs> yes, you're what's wrong, Magic Winks. <laughs>
0: Oh, why is one of my notes just hooves? Oh, it's because when Avalon gets out of the shower, he just has hooves.
1: Yeah, feet are-
0: Feet are not the strong suits here.
1: Everyone's foot is a flesh-colored sock with an articulated big
0: toe. That's it. Everyone's feet are flesh-toned toppy socks. Yeah. Don't look at their feet. It's awful. Okay, so yeah. Avalon demands to know what's going on, and the three planets align in the night sky as Griffin watches. That sentence words it a little weird, because it sounds like Griffin is just watching them fight. Mm. Yes! With her sicko's shirt on. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) But no.
1: And the Statue of Liberty is crying in the corner, because that guy's political cartoons are all like that for some reason.
0: (laughs) Yes! Avalon summons his own wings in time to jump out of the way of Musa and Tecna trying to tackle him, and he takes off flying down the hall with the girls in hot pursuit. Tecna hangs back for a half second to check her watch and realizes that his supposed transformation into the creature trademark has only 30 seconds left. The wings chase Avalon into a room with a big glass wall, and now cornered, He descends to the floor, wings dispelling as he does so. He calls them meddling fairies.
1: Uh, their dumb rabbit is back with bloom.
0: And Tecna, fearing that she's out of time, zooms right in and charges a plasmasphere attack. The same one Palladium showed them how to do earlier. Tecna's straight up gonna kill someone. Flora realizes that he has not, in fact, become a beast of mass chaos. Though he secretly is one, in what I believe they call dramatic irony, and tries to get Techna to stop. But Tecna throws the ball anyway. We see a massive explosion from outside of the school, but when we cut back indoors, Avalon is just Looney Tunes-styled messed up, and Techna realizes that she's screwed up big time.
1: The next morning... Tepna confronts the gathered professors and spells out her case before having the cojones to outright demand an explanation from the professors for her conspiratorial thinking. She does get her explanations. He only uses his wings when he needs them, like they do. He could track of the flowers at the time because he was trying a spell that heightened all of his senses. And being in multiple places at once was a result of WizGiz's hologram machine, which WizGiz displays by making a whole bunch of hologram Farragondas. Musa realizes the prophecy must have been false, and Farragonda asks who exactly wrote the prophecy. When Chechno mentions the name, Farragonda actually laughs because the prophecy is from a book written by a famous comedian from a few hundred years ago. I want to know what kind of satire. That is. That's that's the only kind of comedy that can be,
0: is satire. Brendan, it's a Dante's Inferno level of satire.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if they'd have scrolled down further, uh, all of his political rivals would be uh, roasting in Christian hell. As you do. And uh, Te- uh, Faragonda remarks that Tecna did not do a good job citing her sources. Techna tries arguing that everyone knows about the prophecy. Which is false. They only know about this prophecy because she told them. And Faragonda reiterates Avalon's lesson. Just because something is well-known doesn't mean it is the object truth.
0: Remember, kids, vaccines don't cause autism.
1: Remarkably, Tecna is only told to give Avalon an apology for trying to murk him, talking her friends into helping her in this assassination attempt. And blowing out a giant glass window in the school, which okay, maybe they have access to the mending spell. But that's still not cheap. <laughs> and their punishment after all this is an exam
0: from Avalon. I, I do have a question. This this line was writ, said in Sinelume, not for kids. In fact, for kids doesn't even mention it. The fact that Avalon does say, "You meddlesome fairies." We're gonna gloss over that.
1: Look, he just had a Scooby-Doo villain moment. We all do. <laughs> also, uh, to to part the veil a little bit, I think Darkhar might have actually been worried that they would caught on to him somehow. And that's why changing the plasma ball attack into a truth sphere or spell causes a plot hole. Because, theoretically, if that's what it was intended to do, it would have turned him back into Darkon. And revealed that he's, you know, spying on him. It was just a Looney Tunes ball.
0: I'm going to take this as, techno wasn't focused enough to do the spell properly,
1: I do like the idea of the Looney Tunes bomb going off and then Tecna's hat is on backwards.
0: <laughs> Daffy Duck's beak. <laughs>
1: Fairy season. Which season?
0: You're and- despicable. Hmm.
1: Only say it in a bad British accent. Please don't. Uh, the episode ends with Bloom outside just kind of admiring her family crest, which I may remind you is a physical object. She somehow plucked
0: from her memories. Okay, and it's no longer on like a necklace chain. It's like it's very short.
1: It's a Christmas ornament. Okay. So that's the end of this this episode. <gasps> this wild, absolutely buck wild episode.
0: <laughs> what was this?
1: This really does just come across as a huge warning against the pitfalls of conspiracy making, where you come up with a conclusion, and then you spend all of your effort and energy trying to find the stuff that proves your conclusion, and when you find something that could possibly confirm your belief, you don't even check to see where that came from. Don't listen to your Aunt Carol on Facebook when it comes to vaccines. First of all, she's vaccinated against polio. And second of all, she's like a librarian. She doesn't know squat about medication.
0: My Aunt Carol is a speech therapist.
1: Oh, wow, I just pulled that name out of the ether. That's spooky.
0: <laughs> best so and I worst? Guess,
1: yeah, I guess we got to do our best and worst. Um, I started, so Tess, you go first.
0: Okay, so my best... My best moment is... Yes, you're what's wrong, Magic Winks.
1: That is fantastic.
0: That um, is great.
1: Um, my best is the uh, extremely applicable accidental moral. Maybe it's an accident. Maybe it's the intended moral.
0: Okay, so I know you were talking with on um on the Jake and Josh Discord with uh, about doing a by the numbers for this. Uh huh. And I feel like I'm immediately going to ruin those <laughs> because you know how, like the the my best moment is a as a Techna moment. My worst moment is Techna in general.
1: I I agree. Techna was written very odd this episode.
0: And this has completely ruined my entire thing for this because talking with you I realized, oh wait. No. Incorrect.
1: Uh, this would be an episode where that just zeros out.
0: Well, no. Because my MVP was someone. My my MVP was Techna for going with her gut and not using logic. But no.
1: <laughs> this is a bad bad character development.
0: Bad character development. <laughs> So my MVP is going to be Farragonda for not just expelling everyone for trying to kill a professor.
1: Uh my MVP is Palladium for his sweet new rack.
0: Also, why was Griffin here? I mean,
1: the they do give an explanation for why they would need her. She's she knows astro- she knows astrology and divination.
0: Yeah, but it almost felt like she was feeding into the... Like, I know, yes, the planets aligning are typically seen as a bad omen. But her line deliveries all gave it as, everything is going to go wrong. And in more well, kids, they changed it a little bit to be that the witches have a festival on when the planets align. Which is why she was looking at them.
1: uh. I'm going to give Griffin the benefit of the doubt because again, this is a case where she's going based off of, she's at least guessing based off of prior experience. Okay. And making an educated guess based on prior experience is not conspiracy thinking. Like, she's an expert in the field. Technic consulted her, and yes, this is a bad omen. It just didn't happen at Magix. There's, I don't know. Some guy stubbed his toe. (laughs) <laughs> on, on Ko thirty five. That was the bad event from the planets aligning, and because he stabbed his toe, he didn't see astronomer get kidnapped by a Cliptor.
0: Okay. Oh, damn it! I power. I was like, "What Power Rangers happened in It Was SPD,
1: <laughs> which takes place in the year two thousand twenty five, or two thousand twenty five
0: genre action adventure police procedural technically yes
1: <laughs> decker ranger is more of a perce- uh, police procedural than spd though
0: man decker ranger was fun um
1: i mean do you have any other thoughts on this episode beyond what we've said before of get vaccinated and trust experts in their fields.
0: Have your pets spayed and neutered.
1: <laughs> Sailor Moon says, "Brush your teeth." Just, a, just in general, a good idea.
0: We're, we're done. I'm done. I'm done with life.
1: Yeah, this, this was an intense one. This was, this was almost Fate the Wing Saga level wild. Oh god, we're gonna have to take a break in the middle of season two to cover to cover fate because I think the next season comes out in 2022 maybe we'll be on season 3 by that point that's wishful thinking anyway meeting adjourned (laughs) open
0: your eyes open your mind we are the Mind. let's We've kill lost a man our
1: minds. <laughs>